0: Welcome to Development's Entrepreneurial Lit Series Podcast. My name is Ade Takumba Oludare Thompson. You can say that 10 times fast. Entrepreneur, developer, and director of community involvement at Development. Development is a global 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit organization that addresses the lack of black generational wealth through culturally specific entrepreneurial and financial education that empowers black college students to overcome socioeconomic barriers and build generational wealth. To learn more about development, check us out at www.development.org and follow us on Instagram at D-I-F-F-V-E-L-O-P-M-E-N-T. The goal of the series is to give you, the listener, the opportunity to gain insight into important business best practices and inspiring entrepreneurial journeys that inherently educate on the unique ways in which startups get started and the incredible level of grit successful business ownership requires. Before I tell you about our featured speaker, I would like to thank our official Entrepreneurial Lit Series sponsor, Kearney Bank Foundation. Thank you, guys. Please know, the content you hear on this podcast, whether as a live audience member or a listener through any audio, audio audiovisual, or other platform, is for informational purposes only and may not be considered and has no intention of being considered legal, tax, accounting, investment, or other advice on which you or anyone else may rely. Please note that the opinions of the featured guest and any other speaker are not and do not represent the opinions of development or any of his directors, officers, employees, or affiliates. Kamala Brown Washington is a chief strategist consultant to nonprofit founders with a demonstrated history of working in the professional training and coaching industry. Consulting services are targeted to establish nonprofit entrepreneurs. She is skilled in nonprofit organization, global humanitarianism, entrepreneurship, public speaking, and management. Her strength in entrepreneurship provides business coaching to small businesses, startup nonprofits, and entrepreneurs to help grow community initiatives and expand their brand globally. Kamala is the founder and CEO of chameleon professional development also known as KPD whose mission is to transform lives by promoting the economic independence of veterans reentry citizens as well as disadvantaged men and women seeking employment. She started her nonprofit organization in 2008 with $0 and generates over 4 million in revenue annually. The agency has leveraged its visibility globally through humanitarian partnerships in Kenya, Haiti, Brazil, Chile, and Honduras. KPD provides professional development training, technology resources, wardrobe, and image services to these impoverished communities. This knowledge and expertise about nonprofit leadership to her entrepreneur coaching platform. Create a Profitable Charity, a life-changing strategy implementation program. It focuses on untangling the knots that stand between nonprofit organizations and the fulfillment of their profitable missions. Kamala is committed to enhancing the skills and capacities of nonprofit leaders by sharing her complete business framework that brought her success. She has consulted for a number of global agencies, including United Way, Goodwill, AARP Foundation, and Starbucks Coffee Company, helping them grow and expand their community initiatives. Most recently, Kamala was retained by the family of George Floyd to serve as their advisor in the development of the George Floyd Foundation. In addition to all of this, Kamala is also an adjunct professor at Atlanta Technical College, where she has taught since 2008. Kamala holds an MBA from Atlanta, Georgia's American Intercontinental University in International Management and Organization Leadership. Without further ado, let us welcome Kamala Brown Washington.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, you read, you read my bio and credits as if I'm like, wow. <laughs> I need to meet her. <laughs> I truly, truly, truly appreciate the opportunity. I'm honored, I'm flattered, and I'm I'm humbled to be here today to speak on behalf of your organization that's doing tremendous work and making tremendous impact, as well as to share just a little bit of wisdom and knowledge to your audience about um, the importance in and benefits of being in a nonprofit, a nonprofit business.
2: Wow. Well, I mean, I, I already learned a lot, just going through your, what you do, um, and more so getting a better understanding of, of, of the work that you have, um, paid not only for yourself, but I'm guessing for people, um, who are looking to transform their their lives. Um, so, what I'm going to start off with, I guess, um, if if you don't mind, um, I know that she had an introduction, right? Well, do I think we we need to we need to as the this way this uh, how would you say this introduction? Uh, we need. To, I want to give her that uh, that step in that presence. Can we do that? Like, what is there a song that we could do for her? Please, I, I want her because she she has been. Leveling up since uh she's been holding it down and taking it to different levels every 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 day. So please peep. Level up, level up, level up, level up. Oh, it's so yummy. Oh, the sound so yum. yeah.
1: Fantastic. That's perfect. Right on point. (laughs) Right on point. Thank thank you. Thank
2: you. (laughs) Oh, no, without a doubt. Um, So first and foremost, definitely want to start off with, please um, tell me, uh, I mean, I already uh, got a better understanding of what you do, but more so, uh, what is it that, you know, what is it that makes you do the work that you do every day? Um. So, because I want the I want the uh, audience to also understand where the, this purpose and this meaning comes from, because it's a spirit within, that's inside of you that's making this um, these changes and and for our uh, for the Black community, um, where does that come from?
1: You know, I think it really comes from a position wanting a better position of strength for our Black entrepreneurs. You know. When I started, and this isn't the first business that I've, I've had, I've you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I've had a couple prior to, but what I've noticed that the common denominator through every industry is that we do not have the same resources and the same um, mentors and sponsors and just the, the same level of influence as our counterparts might have which enables them to catapult a lot farther and a lot faster than us in business. And so I really wanted to create an environment where we can kind of level the playing field based on the research, what what I've experienced, what I do, what I implement in my business and just empower them with the knowledge, the resources, and the tools to be more successful, you know it's really again it's it's just unfortunate that we don't have as many benefits and incentives as yes. our you know counterparts.
2: Yes, so, Yeah. You know,
1: most most of the time, we don't know what we don't <laughs> what we don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we we think that we're on top of our on top of our game, but many times we're not. You know, They're always two steps ahead. So we have to work twice as hard just to get half of, yes. what, of what they have.
2: Yeah. Yes, yes, I, I, and I know that personally, for someone who started a uh, business several times, um, and I'm looking for investments, or I'm looking for op- um, opportunity for somebody to invest in my idea, um, those resources are very hard to come by um, mm-hmm. compared to our counterparts. You're right, and so I'm going to go into something you already know, uh, uh, you've already worked on, and need to get a better. Um, and I and I did forget, and I did forget to mention that. You know, let me just say this: thank you so much for your time today. Like, we I, are I really appreciated time is time is more important than money, and you sat here to, with us today. To uh, to let us know and inform um, uh, us about what's going on and about the things that you do and what we could do to help. So my next big question, because uh, you know this is the topic of the, uh, I guess the year. How does it? I mean, as far as George Floyd goes, uh, how does it feel to be the advisor for George Floyd's foundation? Um, and what are you? And also, what are your thoughts on his death? Right. So clearly,
1: it's an honor and a privilege just to be a part of this historical um, public figure. You know, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, he has developed this level of notoriety and, you know, fame, lack of a better word, um, because of his senseless murder. Not, not even call it a death, we're just gonna call it what it is, a murder. Um, so I, I, I really am humbled by it. I never really thought that um, I was at that level in my career or in my, my knowledge to where I would attract, you know, a family in the position that, that they're in. So I, I truly, I'm flattered, you know? I really am flattered, but I take it very, very seriously because I want to make sure that his name and his legacy um, receives the integrity and the respect that it really you know, deserves, most definitely. So in terms of his, his death, I mean, clearly it's just, it's, it's unnecessary to the point where I feel exhausted (laughs) you know you know it just the the level of heartbreak and and fear I am a mother of a 14 year old male and every day he or my husband or my brother or my father when they walk out the door you know I just have to pray because you feel like you have handcuffs You know, but I think, you know, not just because of George Floyd or, um, Brianna Taylor and Avery, you know, uh, all of them, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, so forth, so on. The list just goes, it goes on. And if we're really going to create impact,
2: it's
1: it's not just going to happen from people of color. It really has to happen with everyone rallying around, and having those uncomfortable, honest conversations, so we yes. can get to the root of what this issue really is about, not being in denial, and really come together and put a plan and strategy together to how we can move
2: forward in a more productive way. Wow. Yeah. wow uh, and, uh, and you're right you know uh, being an african american being able to have to step step outside every day you know uh, uh, people don't believe me when i say this but you know i have uh post what, what is the word uh post when i see a cop i'm always scared like, like pds uh, yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah yes yeah literally yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's
2: uh, and it's not it's not even a a joke about it it's something that wow okay today i'm not sure if i something may happen or not happen just because I was going to get stopped by um a a cop um, or something may happen because just because of the color of my skin. Um, So I definitely, I definitely applaud you for the work that you're doing. And also, you know, the, I mean, it's a very uh, amazing opportunity, Um, but just want to dive just a little bit deeper about the work that you do. Right. And and so might just want to, do a little shift, but the work that you do that has led to this, um, the nonprofit funding, um, helping other nonprofits be able to grow establish Can you speak on that just a little bit? Absolutely. So, you
1: know, I started my, my nonprofit in, in 2008. And I think for the first five, six years, I went through this, this hamster wheel, you know, I'm just spinning around and around and around and I'm making moves, but I'm not making progress. Right. And I certainly wasn't making a profit. And right. then there's this, this misconceived you know, perception through society that because I was nonprofit, I wasn't permitted to generate revenue. I wasn't permitted to really established a premium price for the services that I was offering to the, to the community. And then once again, you become handcuffed to that, that thought process or that mindset that the only way that I'm going to get ahead is to write grants or to create countless fun fundraising campaigns, you know, And, yeah. when, and when I started looking at the organizations who were really thriving and who were really self-sufficient and whose leadership was able to really um, establish a good quality of life for themselves and their families, I'm trying That's to feel right. like, what, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Why don't I deserve to get the same level of support as they are, what am I doing wrong? You know, and it really took me um, doing the research, asking the the hard questions, talking to funders, talking to members of other people's boards, boards of directors, um, to really understand what that strategy is about. And what I realized and, and what I found is, you know, how to structure their board, their board of directors, how to be intentional. You know, we typically go straight to our friends and family because it's, it's much easier to, you know, pick from that lower hanging fruit than to try and climb to the top of that tree and get that really that, that, that premium piece of fruit at, you know, the top. But then when we pull from that lower hanging fruit, we don't get the same results. Right. and then we're frustrated and we're upset and then you know we go back to what has always worked before as opposed to stepping outside of our our comfort zone so yeah to that being said um I share with the members of my program the importance of strategizing and being intentional when you select your board of your board of directors you know and that your board, first and foremost has to contribute. They have to be able to commit and make a pledge from a monetary standpoint. In essence, they have to put their money where their mouth is. You know, if they're truly gonna be an an advocate and an ambassador to your mission, your vision, and your cause, show me the money. In essence, show me the money, you know? Right. and then, in terms of the program, you you need to charge. Like you need to charge a price, and, and and to charge a price without feeling guilty, because that's the way the world works. At the end of the day, your nonprofit is still a business. Nonprofit right. is just a tax status. So there's 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 no business that's going to thrive and survive if it doesn't generate revenue. Grants are not designed to be your sole source of income. They're only designed to help bridge the gap between your, your, your financial needs, basically, and who in the world has time to, you know, create fundraising campaigns, like back to back, back to back. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of really changing that that mindset and understanding I have to create a revenue generating mechanism that's going to bring in consistent income every single month because you have expenses, you have overhead, you have salary, you want to grow, you, you have a vision. So it's important that you put the framework and the strategy in place to make that happen. But you know, we 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 start competing against what society says and what society allows us to do as opposed to working from a position of strength and a position of empowerment and saying, this is what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna operate differently from what everybody else is doing. That's why everybody else is struggling. Right. And that's why the rich keep getting richer. And you know, I was in preparation for this. Am I am I rambling too much?
2: No, I'm, you. I mean, okay. I'm I'm so in, I'm so in tune. I'm like, um, just more more information, please. Okay, good. So I was doing <laughs> I
1: was doing the research, you know, in preparation for this for this event, and realized or found that from 2009 to this very day, from 2009 to this very day, when you look at nonprofits who have grown, who've expanded who have increased their territory, let's just say over um, to over $50 million million a year, right? There's only 144 nonprofits who were able to accomplish that. But when you look at for profits who have generated 50 million a year annually or more from 2009 to today, it's like over a hundred, it's over 46,000. I think it was 46,000, look at my notes, 46,127, 100, 144 versus 46,127. So clearly there's a disconnect in terms of how we are going to impact the economy. And if you really wanna talk about the impact in the economy, we we need to be a part of that conversation because there are more small businesses, nonprofit and, and for, there's more, not more small businesses in this world than there are larger Fortune 500 companies. So in essence, we create more of an impact, but yet we don't have the same privileges the same um incentives and uh resources as our counterparts it's 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 a different level of discrimination right so there 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 comes a time where we just really need to level up and determine what is the most effective business model that i can create that will allow me to support my cause, Okay. Because already we, we can't pocket any of, any of the profits, right? Because we are nonprofit. I totally, totally get that. But at the same time, we have to learn to think outside the box in terms of how we're going to generate revenue, how we're going to secure, you know, clients, customers, um, how we are going to continuously move that needle forward. So in order to really understand how to do that, you have to obviously know what, what what we can't do, right? So if you look at advertising, for-profits are really pushed, spend, 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 spend. The more money you spend, the more you're going to generate in customers and clients, right? But yet a nonprofit, we're still a business. So we still have to be able to spend on advertising as well. So we can secure the clients so we can generate the revenue, but no, 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 no. You get these donors. <laughs> and They say, well, no, I don't want my donations to be spent on advertising. I want all of my donations to go towards helping the needy and helping the families and so forth
2: Mm.
1: as if if as if spending money on advertising is not going to allow us to generate more Mm. so now we have to advertise you know at four o'clock in the morning when no one's really going to watch any of our commercials and so it's just this perpetual cycle of You want us to create impact, but yet you want to limit and, and handcuff us in terms of how we can really create change. Right. So I just, got to a point where, you know, you, after a while, you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. So
2: (laughs) I I, I was about to finish your sentence too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so (laughs) I I created the, the online program because I'm like, you know, bump that, you know, at, at some point, you know, you just have to get a little bit, you know, radical and do what is right as long as you're within the parameters of what is legal and what is ethical, you know. But you have to, you have to, because they're going to keep pushing you, pushing you down, pushing you down. So, right. I came up with a a program and a framework. is called the Profitable Blueprint, and it, inclo- and it includes four four a, a four step framework basically that includes planning, positioning, partnering, and profit. Plan, position, partner, and profit. And that's what it takes for you to position yourself to really start generating that four, five, six-figure monthly, you know, revenue. Yes. Yeah. And so um in essence, that's I know me kind of getting on my on my tangent, but I really feel passionate about it because you know, so many businesses that approach me, they want to create impact, they want to serve, but why should you have to sacrifice your quality of life? Why should you um basically you know come this close to being your own your own client, <laughs> you know, right. because you want to help and serve? It's 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 you know insane. It's insane. Right. So I really tried to help create the right mindset and break through some of the misconceptions and the false, the false truths that society has placed on nonprofits and allow them to just work in their level of genius. You know, we all have our superhero power, right? Because we want to change the world. We want to create impact. However, we feel, um, is our passion or the the purpose that we feel has been you know given or provided to us unleash it make it happen you know these are the parameters that you have to work work within but you know don't get paralyzed by the fear you know break through the fear implement your strategy and your system and understand at some point somehow somewhere you have to start ge- you have to start generating revenue. And right. so that's what I really try to instill in all of the members of my program.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, I also saw the the individuals or some of the individuals that have raised money due to the work um, that you do, and I think that's amazing. Uh, so, if you could just, be, I know, uh, sh- uh, on time, we're good on time. Pete, SE or okay. So, uh, how do you, how does it work when you go into uh, a nonprofit? And I know this may be n- tangent just a bit, but just listening to what you're saying, you're definitely a motivational speaker. Break through your fears. Oh, I'm really? Like, okay, like, cool. I'm, I'm like, whew, you know what? I'm about to break through some fears today. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> okay but I can only imagine when you step into a nonprofit organization, um, you're this force that is, you know, that, that sees things different, that feels things different. How do you go about, you know, coming into a nonprofit and seeing what needs to be, what needs to change and how does, you know, most nonprofit co-founders feel about that? I know this is a, but per our conversation is just, I, I'm just listening to the work that you do, yeah. and it's such a game changing. Uh, so, it's such a game changer for nonprofits.
0: Right. You know, I've
2: never heard of this, right? Um, so, yes, please. So, my audience is
1: the nonprofit founder, just like you. You know, mentioned, and I and I think they look at me as an answer to them because I am saying all the things that they have felt, (laughs) but probably wasn't sure if they were valid in their feelings. So to me, the change begins with their board. The board is and should always be the backbone to the organization. But there's this, again, this, this fear that You know, if I really, really speak as passionately and really put my foot down and empower myself, most importantly, empower myself to implement and do some of the methodologies and strategies that I really want to do, my board might push back or my board might not agree with me or worse, my board might fire me that that F word, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you know?
2: Right.
1: So one, um, you don't want a board that is your cheerleader. It's okay for your board to disagree to a certain level with some of your ideas. It's it's good to have that that challenge. Sometimes you need that to really validate if your idea is credible, sometimes you need that pushback because they might have the wisdom and the experience that's going to prevent you from going down a rabbit hole that you really don't need to go down um hmm. and sometimes you just have to understand that they are there to be an advocate for you but you do have to be wise in how your business is structured so that, that fear comes from, um, again, society. Society tells us that you have to have a governing board and that your board is your boss and that your board um, has the right to fire you. Well, your board is only empowered to do what your bylaws allow them to do. So if your bylaws are written to where your board serves in an advisory capacity, versus a governing capacity they don't have the power to fire you so once you understand how to structure how to put the systems in place then that weight can be lifted off of Mm. your shoulders because now you can you can move forward in in your passion without fear
2: Mm. you know
1: so um, it's important that bylaws are written a certain way you know I want the founders to be empowered and not fear that because um, their board is in disagreement then they're going to lose their job and it's their vision so I' so after a while I have to tell them you know let's use some some common sense why would you recruit a board to be your boss it does make sense you know you want your board to be there to have your back you know America. to to open doors of opportunity that that you wouldn't otherwise be positioned or have the ability to walk through you want a board who has the influence you want the board to have a means but see, that's where, you know, if you get a board that's on the same level as you, again, going back to those friends and family, if, if, if they're on the same level as you, that's where you're going to have the competition and contempt, and the jealousy, because they're going to see you leveling up and they're over here struggling. But if you recruit a board who has a means. They're not checking for your coins because they have their own coins, you know? Mm -hmm. They want to support you. They want to open doors. They want to see you creating that impact. They want to be the voice of their, you know, community. So there is no conflict with them going to their relationships and you know, asking for a favor here and there for you. That's what you want your board to do. So it's very, very, very important that um, you understand what you want from your board. As you recruit your board, it's important that you are very decisive on the deliverables that you want from them and for you to paint the picture of where you want your organization to go in terms of like, like for the example, like a, a GPS. that's the example that I use with our clients, you know, when you put in the destination of your GPS, which is your organization, do you know where you want to go? You know, or, or are you just saying, I want to go somewhere around Florida? <laughs> well, like where in Florida do you want to go? Like what's what's the address? Somewhere in, you know, Orlando. Okay, well, you know, Orlando's kind of kind of big. So, you know, if 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 you aren't specific in where you want your organization to go, how do you expect your board, your donors, your supporters, your volunteers, even your staff to get you from point A to point B if you don't even know where you want to go? So you know I want them to understand that they also have to be accountable for their actions or the lack thereof. Like the the board is not the savior, you know, they can only do what you allow them to do. So again, get your bylaws in order, but also be very decisive, like a business, you know, Apple didn't get to where Apple is or Nike didn't get to where Nike is. Oprah didn't get to where Oprah is, you know, without being decisive, like this Mm -hmm. is the plan. This is the strategy. So, you know, you really, you really have to know exactly what you want to do. And if you don't, don't be afraid to ask. And that's where it goes back to, again, aligning yourself with people who have a bigger influence and quite frankly, are just smarter than you. <laughs> you know, you want them to be smarter than you. If if you're the smartest in your sphere of network, Houston, we have a problem, you know, <laughs> because they're all feeding off of you. They're mm-hmm. all learning from you. Okay, which is good. That's not a bad a, a bad thing, right? because you are creating impact for them. But what about you? Like you're not you're not getting, getting fed. So you always want to level up. You always want to be in that room with those who are smarter. And that's okay to just sit back in that corner and just observe. Hmm. But we always got to talk, right? We always have a voice. We always need to be heard. You don't always need to be heard. Sometimes you can just sit back and just observe, you know, and just allow some things to happen organically. So it, it, it's it's a, I don't even know if I answered your, your question. You, know right. you, you even, did. Oh, I'm so sorry, but you know, you it, it's, it's something that I'm really, really, really passionate about, and, and you know, it comes from having the right mindset. If you have this mindset of I'm the boss. This is my business. I know everything. And you need to do what I tell you to do. You're not going to make it. You're just not.
2: Right. You know?
1: Right.
2: right. So, it's I mean, a lot. You? It, no, It is. I could tell already because I really want to be best friends with you because I have <laughs> almost the same mentality. But it, sometimes it may come off as a little bit ruthless, but it's not. It's just. I've worked in um, hedge funds and business for so long oh, really? that you want to, you want to be, yeah, you want to be, you want to be the best. And you said it, you cannot be the smartest person in the room. And if you are, get out, Houston. We have yeah, a problem. We have a big right. problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So. That is very, you know, I mean, thank you for that. And thank you for, um, you answered my question, plus probably 30 other questions that I had coming up at the same time. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, um, so my next question, a little sure. tangent, uh, but what, if you can name, what is your biggest, um, because you have so much work that you've done. You've, you've I mean, I know it's, it's a lot, but what is? What are your, some of your huge success? What is like something that you pride that? Oh my gosh, that work that I did was so amazing, uh, gratifying. What? What? What was that? Because as I'm, I'm, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I see the passion, like overflowing. So I know I had to ask this question because if you you're doing these the um this type of work for um organizations there had to be that one or there had to be something that was so meaningful to you that, you know, it still gives you fire to this day thinking about it or chills, you know, through your body.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, and there's a couple, but to answer your question, I think one that really jumps out is um, being able to establish programs in other countries you wow. know i'm a, i'm i'm originally from los angeles specifically gardena okay so if anyone's in la you know what's up what's up home so <laughs> um you know i'm just a girl you know i'm just a, a a black girl who black woman who you know grew up in my my vision is just interesting. I would always tell my mom, you know, I was one to get into the, into the fashion industry. And I'm, and I'm going to circle back to your, to your question. Um, but I, I always had a passion for the fashion industry and, um, I was told my mom, you know, one day I'm going to dress the world. I'm just going to dress, I'm maybe eight. I'm going i want to dress the world. And, it's 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 interesting how you can speak things into existence. So fast forward, you know, I went to fashion school and um I learned the business side of the fashion industry. Moved from Los Angeles to Atlanta, which is not a fashion capital and had to find a way to really, you know, I left one I left the fashion capital to come to a city that was not a fashion capital, but I still had to find a way to like scratch that that itch, right? Um, And I did that through my nonprofit by, you know, doing wardrobe and image makeovers for our clients. Lo and behold, I um, end up partnering with this, you know, phenomenal pastor of this church, and he takes me on a mission trip to Kenya. Shares he ends up sharing like many of his relationships there and that whole experience of going to Kenya and you know, working with The villages there was just life changing. So Mm -hmm. as a result, we were able to create a program there and it just has expanded to other countries and it's called um, Common common thread. So many of the widows in different communities who have been ostr- ostracized, if I can say the word, ostracized from their community, um, because their husbands have died of, of AIDS, they still have to find a way to support their families. Wow. So they, um, they would make, you know, these beautiful or knit, sew these beautiful garments, clothes, sweaters, hats, gloves, what have you. But didn't know how to market it, how to support their families. And so, being able to teach them how to be an entrepreneur and to sell their wares in the market so they can provide for their families, um, and then to give them the resources so they can sew effectively the sewing machines and the fabric and just the notions and all the things that they need the tools and the resources again it's all about the tools and the resources so now I'm realizing okay this is like a thing and so from one country in Kenya to Chile to Honduras Haiti and so forth that same program Wow. you know I just rinse and repeat so I just create that in different countries and it's called again it's called common common thread but to realize that what I spoke to my mom at eight, I'm now able to do, like globally, is to dress wow. the world, you know? Wow. And, and it's, it's, it's a remarkable, remarkable feeling.
2: Wow, wow. I mean, uh, I mean shout out to you um, on the work that you're doing. And, you. you know, uh, it really, I feel like uh, we have some big steps to fill um, just as well. But, you know, you're paving the way for a lot of us to also, you know, get a better understanding of how we can um, improve what we do on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, uh, I have some questions here and I'm also getting messages from the, uh, from the queue, right? Um, let me see here. Okay. So I have one. Um So we're gonna go into more so now, uh, some of the audience questions here that they have. All right, so just uh, switch uh, just a little bit, uh, pivot just a little bit, here we go. Um, What are the most effective events, programming, um, et cetera, that nonprofits uh, can do to generate their own income?
1: I think it, it it depends on what they consider to be their expertise. I am big on monetizing your expertise. Don't waste time trying to figure out something that doesn't come natural to you. Work in your own gift and within your own talent and determine a way to monetize that. Um, And if somehow some way um, maybe maybe your gift can be monetized or maybe your gift is your actual cause but I think if you determine what your expertise is, put some framework around that put a strategy and a system around that and I think that you know you will be able to, generate revenue but the the important thing to determine how to price or how to monetize your expertise is to determine the value what problem are you able to solve with your expertise Mm -hmm. and you only have to solve one you don't have to solve all of their problems because we're all human and we're gonna always have problems, right?
2: Right.
1: Like you know, Jay Z says, "I got 99 problems," right? So <laughs> you, know, you just need you just need to pick one. One. Uh, not all of them, <laughs> just pick one. And that problem that you're solving as you promote and market your um your program, your business, your service, however you want to um, tailor that. Don't talk about your education, your um, your degrees, like how, how long it's gonna take to something. Nobody cares about that, okay? I tell my clients, you know, you can have more degrees than a doggone thermometer. Don't nobody care about that. They wanna know how are you <laughs> gonna solve their problem And in essence, solving their problem means transforming their life. Once you solve that problem, you have transformed Mm -hmm. them because that's going to change them, right? Mm -hmm. Like before I used to be overweight and now I'm with this trainer and I've lost X number of pounds and I just lost weight from this size to that size. My life is transformed, right? Talk about the transformation. That's Mm -hmm. what you want to focus on. On wow. that person, not about you. It's not. It's not about you. It's about them and how you're transforming their life. That's how you're going to monetize your expertise and generate, quite frankly, a boatload of revenue. For wow, you. yeah.
2: So you know, actually, that brought a point. Um, it's about it's about the transformations. How uh, it was a quote, and I was on your. You know, I was doing some research. You know, because Anya. And I saw Maya Angelou, Maya is my favorite person. Okay, uh, yeah. And she had a quote that said, I've learned that people forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Absolutely. So it's in, re- it's in regards to what you're saying, is the how you're making people feel from a nonprofit standpoint to be able to display that, correct? Correct. Right, correct. Okay, exactly. gotcha. Exactly, absolutely. Gotcha. So just wanted to make sure um that you know everyone you know the work that you're doing um, and the work that the, the nonprofits are doing are transforming uh, constantly transforming um lives and being being and it's not about the degrees and I'm going to actually use that one actually I forgot to mention the, the, the more more degrees than a, a, a dog nonprofit. on the ball.
1: yes yeah cuz you no know, you, <laughs>
2: okay. you know how we are
1: I yes. have a master's, I have a doctorate, I have this. Problem. Don't nobody care about that. I wanna know how you gonna fix my problem. That's all they really care about. How you gonna fix my problem? Because your your degree is not gonna help me. It, it, it's of no benefit to me if I'm still walking
2: around with right. this issue. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, and so I have another question. Okay. Uh, thoughts on engagement thought what are your thoughts on the engagement strategies virtually uh yeah and that's a really good question actually especially in the times that we're in especially covid um like for instance you know we typically have this event and it fundraises and and we have it in person you know okay. um and it's typically is always packed and um okay. and yeah so what being that we live in a different world now what what do you see or what do you foresee, uh, in regards to engagement, um, virtually?
1: Yeah, I think that now, you know, we're at a point where we really have to kind of pivot all of our businesses for profit and non and have a digital presence. Yeah. Um, if, if you're fortunate enough to be able to continue having your traditional um, brick and mortar type business, fantastic, but you should also have a digital presence so that one, your revenue and your income is not impacted by anything else that that happens, whether it's COVID or some other recession, whatever it happens, it happens to be. So I think it's 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 critical now that every business has. A digital presence somehow some way you have to figure
2: figure that out yeah yeah let's see here Um, okay Uh, okay so um, can you give um, examples of what you mean by using your expertise Um, like concrete examples of what current profits are doing Um, with,
1: with their expertise. Um, yes. Okay, so I'll use m- myself as an example. So, my background, as I shared before, um, is in the fashion industry. So, um, I know the business side of the fashion industry, and I was a style. Like before, I started my nonprofit. I was a stylist for um, different buying, buying offices. So went into the nonprofit world and you know, I saw the business model for Dress for Success. And I also saw a business model at, at, at the time, Maylock Rock, who is the ex-wife of Chris Rock. She had a nonprofit where they provided um, the grooming, for women who are going into the job market. And Dress for Success focuses on providing um, clothing to, women, gent- gently used clothing to women who are going into the job market. So I kind of married those two visions and created my, my nonprofit. And after a while of you know driving all over Atlanta and, and picking up all of these gently used clothes and getting them cleaned and so forth and so on, um, I was like, this just sucks. You know, this is really, this is time consuming. And I really don't feel like I'm um, creating the right impact. So I looked at what is my fear, my sphere of expertise. I have relationships in the fashion industry. And so I would reach out to different designers that I knew who had relationships with other designers and we started um, this this partnership where I would get their overstock inventory from their showrooms. Mm-hmm. So I no longer I no longer provided gently used clothes. I provide designer, high end, mm-hmm. new clothing to all of our clients. Then I took it a step further because I have this relationship with retail stores. I reached out to some of these buying offices and said, I have a nonprofit. I know how this works. Instead of you selling, you know, a hundred percent of your inventory to TJ Maxx, Marshall, so forth, so on. How about you carve out like one or 2% of your inventory and let me buy it as a nonprofit pennies on the dollar, pennies on the dollar and worked out those, those agreements, right? So now I have this influx of new designer inventory to provide to my clients. Now, when I go to our partners who want to send their clients to me for, um, wardrobe grooming for job interviews, I can now charge at a much higher premium dollar or price because of the value that that I'm I'm bringing, I'm the only agency in the state of Georgia that provides this level of grooming. So there are other clothing closets. I'm not I'm not saying that, but to provide cl- a clothing closet with new designer high end inventory and the grooming aspect, because I also partner with salons and barbers to groom them for the job market, right. Now there's a lot more value that I offer. So I just went from charging maybe $50 for image makeover services to $1,500. 1,500 from 50 because now I've monetized my expertise. I'm bringing something of value that no one else is able able to bring. Now I'm not saying you have to be the, the one and only You know, to monetize your expertise, but that's just an example in my case. So if you understand how to package value, Mm. then you can monetize your expertise. Here's the here's another example, and then I'll let you go to the next question. So we look at coffee. Any if anyone drinks coffee, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do watch and see how this how businesses operate. So McDonald's, Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts, you know, they offer hot coffee, right? But so does Starbucks. McDonald's is a dime a dozen. You might pass three, three or four McDonald's before you'll get to a Starbucks. But you would rather not pay ninety nine cents or two dollars for a cup of coffee. You rather pass them and go to Starbucks and pay three, four, five, six dollars for mm-hmm. a cup of coffee, right? Right. So it's not always about the amount, it's about the value. People who are coffee drinkers would prefer to go to Starbucks because of the value. It's the brand, it's the coffee, it's the experience, it's the atmosphere. All of that package, packaged together is what allows them to charge so much more than any other you know mm. restaurant because of the value. So again, if you look at the value in how you package your program, you can monetize your expertise.
2: Mm.
1: Is that a good right. example? Does that help?
2: Yes, that hopefully is actually a great example. Ask,
1: ask that question, hopefully you have a little bit more more clarity.
2: Oh, no, that definitely does, and that also goes into what you were saying a little bit earlier about the challenges for nonprofits that don't have or don't um, use marketing as a way to uh, push their message, uh, because they're going to have to put that money towards something else. But I can really see, you know, by you, you, you got, you have a real good understanding of uh, packaging value, so you can get the best uh, result for that uh, for that value right Um, so so yeah yeah, I mean that is actually uh, really amazing and thank you for sharing that Uh, let me see if there's any and I'm and I think uh, you once again you answer the question with so much uh, uh, detail I think it's it's more now the the color has been shed is just being able to act upon um, what you're saying, uh, because it's a all, all you're saying, all that you're saying is so valuable that you know if you miss it, right, and you don't act upon it, it's not, it's not, you know, no one's fault but your own, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, I really do appreciate that. Um, let me see. Uh, I think we have one more last qu- one last question. That will be all. Uh, okay. This is it. What ha- what has she found the best? ways to motivate board. Okay. What has been the best ways to motivate boards to fundraise? Okay. So I don't think
1: you so much have to motivate your board to fundraise. Your board should be educated on what is expected of them from the very beginning. So that that mindset of your board coming together, hitting the ground running to raise money for you should be communicated from day one. should really before day one, it should be communicated during the courting process. So I believe that you need to court your board members, Mm -hmm. much like dating, right? So, as you identify who you want on your board you don't want to just invite someone to be on your board just because you know them or because they were referred to you you know you should get to know them you should have at least three meetings interactions encounters um where they get to know you you get to know them they can ask you questions you can ask them questions And after a couple of meetings, you kind of determine if there's chemistry, you know, do you think that they're going to get you to that next level? During that courting process, you should present them with what is called a board prospectus. A board prospectus is a document, a couple of pages depending on how thick or thin you want it to be, but maybe somewhere between three to five, seven pages. Um, and you, you're providing them with the background of your organization, what your mission is, your vision, your purpose, um, what your, what, who you serve, what your organization does, what is, um, expected, uh, expected and required of your board. Um, how, how you see or perceive a productive and high performing board to look like, feel like, you know, all of this information is inside of this board prospectus. Okay. So there's no surprises when they accept your invitation to join your board. They already know that if I'm going to join this board, because it's in your prospectus that each board member is required to contribute X, X number of dollars. Okay, it might be $500, might be $5,000, you know, but whatever that dollar amount is, they're not going to be caught off guard and clutching, you know, pearls because they already know it's expected that every board member has to contribute X number of dollars. That's, that's number one. Number two is every board member is required and expected to, um, fundraise you know, and you will determine, like, how much you want that to be, and every board member is required to assist in providing resources, relationships, and so forth, so on. So through this courting process, through their board prospectus, through your your onboarding of your board, which is the orientation of your board once they accept All of this, it's constantly being instilled and embedded. You're constantly planting the seeds that this is what's expected of the board. So now they're a full-fledged member. They know. Make it happen. We need to stack some paper up in here. You need to go out, go get those relationships. You need to implement the give-get policy. Either you're going to give or you're going to go get it none of this is going to come to a surprise to them. So you don't have to worry about trying to motivate them. You've already prepped and and groomed them throughout this entire process. So now they just need to make it happen. So that's what I recommend. Don't worry about trying to motivate, go back to square one. And when, and as you are recruiting your members, start grooming them okay so that they already know you know they already know just okay just like with your with your children right so at you have if know you have children so as you're raising children even you know in your own childhood, your parents are instilling certain values and certain expectations right like look, act like you have some home training. Like when I, when I drop you off at so-and-so's house, this is how I expect you to behave, right? You don't, they don't wait until you become an adult and then tell you, this is, this is how you're supposed to behave. You know, throughout your upbringing, this is how you conduct yourself. The same with your board. Through that whole grooming process, you are planting the seeds of what is expected of them. So by the time they come up, become a board member, they're able to hit hit the ground running and start making things happen. So that's how you can build a high performing, productive board. We don't have time to be motivating. We We all grown. We all know this is a nonprofit. We all know that nonprofits never have the proper resources That we need to get from point A to point B. If that's the case, you know we would be a Fortune 500 company. So, um, you don't want to be in a position to where you have to spoon feed and motivate your. mm -mm, mm We don't.
2: We don't have time for that. (laughs) There we go. Yep. Here we go. Yeah. all right so i was going to say this that was the, there's one i mean and Pete, we we're still good on time awesome so okay i'm going to make this the last one because it, okay. it sounded it as i was reading and it was it was well thought out um uh, my I mean, my organization operates online globally but i'm based in toronto canada um and i think in a previous webinar i guess somebody that follows you Okay. Uh, you have a, you have been clear about how some of your programs and strategies are not guaranteed to work in Africa or the Caribbean because of the different financial and corporate practices. Um, yeah. what uh, what about Canada? Can you pro, can you program and strateg, uh, strategize um, or, or can strategies be implemented in Canada?
1: Okay, so let me let me clarif- clarify. Um, Yes, so at the beginning of my webinar uh, masterclass, I do share that my program isn't necessarily for those in Africa, Haiti, other third world, you know, countries. It's really for that participant um, or attendee to make that determination based on the framework that I share during the webinar. So to answer your question, I would hope that my framework and my point of view and my business strategies would work in Canada. It's, it's better for, for you to make that assessment than me, because I don't operate a business in Canada. And I'll just be honest and as transparent as possible. I don't know if their business practices are the same in Canada as in U.S. I do have experience in doing business in um, parts of Africa, in Kenya specifically, as well as Haiti. And because I I have programs there, I know that the way that they do business is a lot different than in the U.S. And so I don't want to set anyone out up for failure. I want to set you up for success. And I don't want you to invest in a program. And I don't know for sure. If this framework is the framework that you need for your specific program. Right? So I'm, I probably need to change that, but I don't, I don't say my, my program or my strategies are not effective for those in Africa and Haiti to discriminate against them. It's to protect them. You know, I don't want you to waste money or time in a program that doesn't utilize the same business practices that are utilized in your homeland. So to that point, if you have attended my webinar, which you just shared that you have, if you feel that my framework will work, for you in Canada, by all means, I would love to work with you. I really, really would, but I can't make that determination myself only, only you can. So
2: perfectly, you know, it does. Wow. So in in essence, it's a barrier of entry depending on a country, Um, Right. So I, I I mean, I know best, best
1: practices for the U S because obviously that's where we are. Right. Yeah. So I know the way other nonprofits operate here. The, the, I was a consultant as you shared for, um, Goodwill, United Way, and you know, AARP and some other agencies, and I've done research on some other agencies, boys and girls club, YMCA, so forth. So I know what's the best practices for nonprofit yeah. here in here in the U.S. Now, if you can take this business model and apply it to your organization in Canada, Haiti, you know, um, Africa, wherever, fantastic. Come on, let's create impact together. But yeah. only, only you can you can answer that. Not,
2: not, not me. Yeah. Gotcha. Well. Uh, thank you, uh,
0: yeah. I think we have a room for one more question. It's
2: one more question in the chat box. So you can read that question. One more. I think, okay. Yeah. okay. This is a okay. I just want to make okay. sure all of our, guys. I was just making sure I was good on time because you know, I gotta, I gotta make sure I, I check with management. So, uh, we have one more question and then we'll- <laughs> all right, cool. Uh, let's see here. Uh, hold on, here we go. Um, so my question, uh, or their question, um, is about uh, business mindset for nonprofit founders versus for profit In your, in your experience, how do they uh, differ? You know, that's a great question.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm going to do what I, don't like to do. Um but I think it's the, the only way I can really answer the question effectively is to make a general statement. And there's always except let me just put out this disclaimer there's always exceptions to you know the rule. But I think the the nonprofits that I encounter and engage with through social media through my through my online program um, the mindset comes from a sense of lack. They have this mindset of lack. Well, I can't, I can't do that because, you know, I don't have the resources. I can't do that because, you know, I don't know how to ABC, but if you're a true entrepreneur, you have to think outside the box. And you have to be a bit resourceful. Versus for profit, they already go in pistols blazing, like they kicking down the door. They got the they they bring in the smoke. Like I'm trying to make as much money as possible, like from day one. I'm ready. I'm coming in ready. You know, um, nonprofits come in, you know, kind of humble with the knee pads. Do you mind? Can you please like maybe, you know, donate, uh, 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 come in with the company, come in with the same vigor as those nonprofits. I mean, as those for, for profits. So in a sense, nonprofits, I want you to take that nonprofit hat off. Okay. Just put that on the shelf. You don't need that hat on until, until March when it's time to file your 990. That's when you need that need that nonprofit hat on, okay? The rest of the 11 months, you need to operate your business like a for-profit. Kick down that door, you know, pistols blazing, bring the smoke, okay? You need to be like um, Cardi B, let's make some money moves, okay, we need to make some money moves so just you know that that mindset of lack and i don't have and you know let me ask my ask my board like why would your board have a problem with you generating revenue like what is there to ask like really no you don't need to ask your board can you make money that's the whole purpose the more money you make the more impact you're able to have in your in your community, and we don't even talk about salary. Like we're not going to talk about asking your board how much money you can make for your salary. But you know, it, it, it's it's that kind of thing. And so, I would love to see nonprofits um, take a bit more of a a bolder stance and have a stance of confidence. And truly be an entrepreneur as opposed to come in with the mindset of let me, let me, let me go ask, make it happen, make it happen. Find a way to make it happen because that's what for profits are going to do. Yeah. I can't hear. I can't
2: hear you. I don't know, you, you've touched the spirit in me and I'm like, <laughs> we need to go get our Timberland and some knocking on some doors, okay? Bust through some doors, okay? That's what we're about to do. <laughs> um, but w- without, you know, just wanna say once again, um, Kamala, um, thank you um, for your time. Thank you for uh, blessing us with your grace for all the work that you've done. Um, uh, I think my last question is, for not for me, but for everyone to know, where can they find you? Where are you uh, <laughs> as far as um, Instagram, social media? Yeah. Uh, and, and what we're going to also do is we're going to post it and send it to everybody that came on just, um, just as well. But please let everyone know where they can find you in the best place uh, um, on social media to um, reach out. Most definitely, thank you. Before I answer that question, I want to kind of piggyback
1: off of um, Khalid's um, comment about, you know, the nonprofit title confuses,
2: you know, people. people. Yes,
1: and all that means is that at the end of the day, any money that's left over, you can't pocket it. You know, you have Mm. to put whatever profit is left over. It has to go back into the business. That's all that nonprofit means. You know. So yes, I think you're absolutely right. That it's, it's confusing that people think that nonprofit is a business model. All it is, is a tax status. That's all that nonprofit is, is a tax status, not a business model. So that was an excellent, excellent point. Thank you for,
2: um, you know, making you, that. so that actually, that actually shifts, you know, the mindset, right? And now I, you say it that way. And now, we can, I mean, whoever sits on the board can operate differently. Because as you said, you think nonprofit, you're thinking, oh my gosh, we need to ask people instead of, you know, I mean, of course we're, we're asking in a different way, you know, in a more, you know, we need to get this money because we need to make those changes for the the lives of people or the lives that we're transforming. Right. Um, Exactly. 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 So, so, so yes. Uh, but to answer your, your,
1: your question, I am found um, on social media at Kamala Brown Washington. Kamala is K A M I L A, brown like the color, Washington like the city. Um, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, LinkedIn at Kamala Brown Washington. My website is the same, Brown, Washington.com.
2: Well, uh, with that being said, everyone, if you don't mind, you can, uh, if you're on, you can uh, press the menu and clap, being that, you know, the applaud is a little bit different nowadays with COVID, <laughs> so I'm clapping. Um, well, I just wanted to give a round of applause to um, Kamala Washington for being here with us today.
1: I appreciate Um, it. I've had a lot of fun. uh, This is
2: great. (laughs) Um, And hopefully, you know, we get to see you again, um, talk to you more um, in the near future. Absolutely. uh, Because uh, with this and with all this information, and now we're going to go get some Tim's to knock on some doors. (laughs) um, uh, But, you know, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really inspired to do more work. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, blessing us with your grace.
1: It's all my right.
2: Pleasure. Thank you, Essie. Thank you,
1: Peter. Thank you, Khalid. You know, Darae, you were just like the bomb. <laughs> you are the bomb digging. You know, <laughs> I appreciate all the energy. This is great. Yeah, and, and just know I'm family now, right? I'm I'm family. <laughs> like I'm coming oh, back. Yes.
2: Fantastic.
0: Oh, yes. This podcast series is meant to uplift not only you, the listener, but the amazing organization that makes it possible. Donate by texting diff wind down to 44321 and help development further its mission of re-empowering people of african descent one student at a time sign up for event and podcast reminders by visiting development.org backslash newsletter thank you and stay tuned